My name is Aldo Martin, and this is the Reclamation Podcast. As we wind down the last few episodes of Season 3 of the, of the Reclamation Podcast, I'd like to focus the following episodes, or the following next couple of episodes, rather, I'd like to focus that on the the now what or what's next, right? We've we've discussed the ICOC subject from a variety of lenses and have spoken to a variety of people, to say the least. And different people are processing this ICOC experience in their own way and at their own pace. And with the with the robust nature of our conversation. I can't help but to think, now what? Yeah, now what? And so today we speak with Alan Allard. Alan is currently a corporate coach in which his job is to help people get the best out of themselves. However, before this, he was a psychotherapist for 12 years, where he had a private practice and he helped people to make sense of their interactions with the outside world. More specifically, Alan has spent many years as a therapist to members of the ICOC. I should also mention that Alan is also a former member of the ICOC. He was a member in the Chicago church from 1987 until the year 2000. He speaks to us today about those days, about those days when he was a counselor to members of the ICOC, and with that interaction was like in conjunction with what the church taught. He speaks to us today about the concept of personal agency versus spiritual authority and how the latter has been used to undermine the former. He also explains that if one isn't the authority in their own life, then they will find something or someone to fill that void. And finally, Alan tells us about this idea of blind obedience and its potential harmful impact within the context of spiritual authority. Alan, you were a member of the ICOC many years ago, is that right? Yeah, from October 1987 to 2000. Until 2000, uh, it's about 13 years right there. But before we get into that, You've mentioned to me that you've coached and conducted workshops for some of the for some large companies, but you said nothing compares to helping those that have been traumatized in the name of God. Can you tell us a little bit about a little bit of what you do today? I primarily coach uh, individuals and couples, more individuals than couples. I was a, a psychotherapist in the Chicagoland area for about uh, 12 years and that after about probably nine or 10 years morphed in coaching. So I do very similar work uh, just under the moniker of coaching. Under the moniker of coaching. What, what is, what do you mean by that? Well, that, <laughs> that gets a little complicated, right? Because when we talk about therapy, uh, what is therapy? There are over 300 different schools of therapy. Okay. Uh, what is coaching? There's no one definition of coaching. But basically, the medical model that therapy follows, where you diagnose someone, label them, and then treat them, I was not comfortable with. So I never diagnosed people even as a therapist. 
So uh, coaching is just a broader term uh, that, that I use. Okay. Okay. When did you become affiliated with the ICOC? I think you said October 87, and then you left 2000. Can you, t- can you tell us a little bit about why you left? I left because uh, sooner or later, you can only have so many um, uh, interactions and problems uh, and crises with the leaders of the church that you're in. You know, someone's going to win out over time. And so we were pretty much at odds from the very beginning when I started doing therapy. I had been an intern in the Chicago church. I was an intern for a year. And that's when I decided the ministry was definitely not a fit for me. Prior to that, I was a minister for the traditional churches of Christ for about four years. I decided in that environment, the ministry was not for me. So in the ICOC, it took me a year and I thought this is really not a fit at all. So I went into sales with Motorola um, and then eventually started a private practice part time and then quickly went into full time. But what happened was when I started doing uh, therapy, what I was telling my clients was so at odds with the culture and the teaching. And I kept running into problems with people's Bible talk leaders, house church leaders, region leaders, all the way up to the lead evangelist. Can I, can I ask you something? So who were, who were you who were you counseling at the time? Were you counseling current members? In the beginning, it was exclusively uh, current members within the Chicago church and churches uh, uh, throughout the United States. Uh, as my practice grew, then I started getting referrals uh, for people, you know, that had friends or family or neighbors or co-workers. But still, probably at the end, probably about 75 percent of my clients were still people who were either in the ICOC or who had left the ICOC. They weren't coming to me because they were saying, hey, I've been traumatized by church. They were coming to me uh, for things like depression, anxiety, um, relationship, marriage problems. And and so you're saying what <clears throat> your conversations with them and 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 probably what you were advising them or however to phrase that, it was conflicting with what was being taught in the church? Is that safe to say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. First, it's, it's, if someone would say, uh, you know, at some point, let's say they came in for depression and they said, hey, can I, you know, can I talk about my relationship with God? And I said, well, you can talk about whatever you want to. And they said, well, you know, uh, I just don't have a very good relationship with God. And I said, well, what do you mean? And eventually, what they would tell me is, um, well, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not really doing what God wants me to do. So I'm not really, you know, committed to God. And I remember the first time I had that conversation, I looked at the person and I said, because all my clients paid out of their own pocket. I didn't take insurance. And I said, you're, you're paying me $150 <laughs> to talk about this stuff. I, I would think that that means that this stuff, and in this case, God is is quite important to you. Well, yeah, but I'm not reading my Bible, so stop reading it. Well, yeah, but I'm not praying much. And I would say every thought that you have is a prayer. What you call prayer is what you were taught as prayer. But everything that you think, is, isn't God, according to your belief, isn't God listening to everything? Well, isn't that prayer? Yeah, but I don't like going to church. So don't go. So <laughs> those would be some of the more mild stuff. 
obviously that was not well received. If that's mild, I, I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be miffed to know what wasn't mild. So that's a little bit of the flavor of what you were doing back then. I, I want to go back to your time with the Chicago Church of Christ just a little bit. And okay. I remember you, you writing that there was an evangelist who had been marked and disfellowshipped and you were friends yes. with him. But, yes. then, but then an elder gave you a message about this friend of yours and your friendship with him. What did the elder say and what was your response to that? We were sitting in his uh, kitchen and he said, well, I hear you're talking too. And I'll just leave the name out since that's not important. Um, does it matter to you if I leave names out? I don't mind naming. No, names no, no. We don't, we don't have to. Okay. No, we're good. Okay. So he said, I hear you're talking to so-and-so. And I said, well, yeah, well, how often are you talking to him? Well, you know, every day, every other day. Well, he's been marked. Weren't you at the church meeting where we disfellowshipped him and marked him? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you've got to stop talking to him. And I said, well, why is that? Well, <laughs> because he's been marked. I said, no one has the right to tell me who to talk to or who to be friends with. I've been friends with this guy for over 20 years before we both got to Chicago and I'm loyal. I'm not going to turn my back on a friend. And not only that, you know, uh, this is not a one-sided thing. If, if one party wants to claim that they've made no mistakes, uh, haven't done anything that they might do differently, uh, then I'd like to hear that. But both parties, you know, uh, have some things, but for the most part, there's nothing that this guy did. And this is what I told him. I said, he's not done anything that's been wrong that warranted any marking. So I'm certainly not going to uh, follow along. Then he quoted Hebrews 13 to me, right? Obey your leaders, Hebrews 13. And I just, you know, repeated using the broken record technique. Well, no one gives another human being the right to tell another human being uh, who to talk to or who to be friends with or what to do with their life in general. So, And what was the response to that? That ended the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't know what to do with that. You know, the leaders were not used to people being honest with him for the most part. Do you consider his, his words at the time, do you consider them to be problematic? I consider them to be uh, authoritarian at best and toxic and inhumane at worst. I'd love to talk about this notion that I've, I've seen you write actually. And it's about personal agency versus personal, excuse me, personal agency versus spiritual authority. Can you talk, can you talk to us about spiritual authority and, and what that means and what it looks like? Spiritual authority, according to how it's taught in authoritarian high control environments, including the ICOC. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, I think it's the concept and you could probably articulate this as well as I could. Um, so I'd love to hear your uh, explanation of it. Uh, spiritual authority is the concept that God has designated one human being that somehow is over another human being and has authority over that human being and can tell them what's right and wrong or what they should or should not do and can exercise some kind of power over them. Now, can you talk to us about the concept of personal agency and what that means and what it looks like? In psychology, personal agency is about uh, having the capacity um, to make your own decisions and to uh, direct your own life without any outside compulsion. Why do you think personal, well, 
Do you think personal agency is important? And if so, why? I think it's unbelievably important. Can't overstate its case because, and I, and I think that most people understand this because it's common sense. If we just use common sense, if we left uh, theology and psychology out of it and just used our common sense, we wouldn't have so much trouble. And I'm not saying to leave either of those out of it, but I'm saying if we make it a little more simple, um, anybody knows that any relationship, whether it is a, you know, uh, two people, partners, right? Like what we might call marriage, but let me expand that two partners living together. Or if it's two friends, I think pretty much anyone knows that if it's not um, mutually beneficial and if the power is not equal, if one person has more power than the other, that that's unhealthy, that's undesirable, someone is going to be unhappy. So why should it be any different between a human being and this entity that we call God? How could it be any different? The notion that God, uh, a divine being, would make a demand and then um, threaten with a punishment if that demand is not made uh, is not something that we would entertain when it comes to human relationships at all and call that healthy. We wouldn't even begin to entertain that thought. Well, perhaps this idea of personal agency might sound blasphemous to some people that are listening, right? To some members of the audience. Okay. What would you what would you say to those that might take offense to that stance? Well, I would say that they have a right to believe whatever they want to believe. And I would just ask them, you know, are they happy with that and all the ramifications and how that's showing up in their life? Can you tell us some examples of ramifications that you've seen it, it show up in, in people that you've coached or counseled over the years? I think that. So let's move away from the idea of a God delivering demands. And let's talk about a human being getting involved when it comes to churches or religion or spiritual leaders. The most common way that that shows up is you have a spiritual leader or a whole group, a denomination saying, we speak for God. What we say to you is equivalent to what God says. Now, they'll usually open up, let's say, the Bible, and then they will read the Bible and, of course, they will never shut up at that point, right? They'll read something, <laughs> and then they begin to talk. And then everything else that they say in response to what they've read in the Bible, they are either explicitly or implicitly telling people, now, what you just heard is the will of God. This is what God says. So now they've placed themselves on equal plane with God. These people who would on one hand very quickly say, yes, I'm a fallible human being. Yes, I make mistakes. And so the cognitive dissonance there is so big and loud, it's unbelievable. But it seems like people ignore that. Wait a minute, you're fallible, but you're telling us that this is what God says. Well, no, it's what the Bible says. Well, but you could be mistaken about that. Well, no, it's crystal clear. Well, I'm getting confused. I thought you just said you you're fallible. That means you could be mistaken. So somehow they've managed to convince people that what they are saying is equivalent to the dictates of God. So that's a human being that has put themselves over another human being in terms of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, uh, spirituality, what they might call access. Access. There you go. Access because they're representing God and someone has bought into that. And then when what the message, if it taps into someone's guilt, right, shame, fear, 
well, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I've, I've done some things I'm ashamed of. Yeah, I'm a bad person. Now that person is wanting absolution. <laughs> They're wanting someone to come in and save them from those dark leader gives them the antidote and that person says thank god i'll take it so now one human being uh has manipulated another human being impersonating god impersonating god that's a that's a term that's a term i've i've never heard before that's a really interesting term impersonating god do, do you think that's what that's what was happening i do in a in a you know, in a in a sense, I'm using some license with language, but it's a crime in the United States to impersonate a police officer, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, oh, it my is. gosh. How much worse, tragically worse is it? Because people's lives have been hijacked by certain teachings and theology, huge amounts of money and time and talent and resources. And people have put their dreams on the side. They put their careers, uh, you know, on the side, so to speak, their families on the side. And, and, and I'm talking about in high control churches environments because they were told, seek first the kingdom of God. And what that really is meant by the leaders is put the church first. And people just, you know, they don't they don't know how to think through that. They don't know to say, well, wait a minute, is that what the king seek first the kingdom of God meant? Put the church first. So I, I haven't gone to church anywhere since I left the ICOC. And when people occasionally find out that I used to be friends with, and it's not been a lot, I haven't kept a, in touch with hardly anyone, because as you know, when you leave, they don't keep, keep in touch with you. Your friend, the evangelist was marked. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's a good point. Not only do people not keep in touch with you, if that person is a danger to the institution, then you're you're told you can't keep in touch with that person. So in, in, in your opinion, in your opinion, what happens if if someone doesn't accept that they are the ultimate authority in their own life? Then they will find someone to fill that void. Can you expound on that a little? Yeah. If if I don't believe that I am the ultimate authority in my life and someone comes along and tells me, well, you can't be the ultimate authority in your life because you're you're a sinful uh, person by nature. <laughs> your inclination is sinful. Your proclivity is to resist God and to rebel against God and to you know to be selfish and self-centered and whatnot. And so you know you you can't be the ultimate authority. And then if they embellish and say you know hey even this sacred text teaches you you can't trust your own heart. Okay, well. I have to have some authority. I have to have some source that I go to to uh, give me guidance, right, and direction and advice, much less to tell me what I do. So I'll find someone to do that. And it could be what we call God. It could be uh, the Bible. But when we do that, it's almost always a group or an individual in a local church yeah. that then becomes the person that we um, abdicate our thinking to. One of the things that we we constantly hear is that we must, and you've alluded to this, <clears throat> is that we must obey God, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. Now, I've I've seen you mention before that there are examples in the Bible in which there are people not obeying God. Can you talk to us about those? And are those examples of personal agency? Yeah, I think so. I I think the the worst case of 
the opposite of personal agency is that famous story of Abraham offering up Isaac as a sacrifice, right? That's talked about a lot in churches, and we're told that's the kind of faith that you need to have. And I say that's exactly the opposite of what we should have because that's what we call blind obedience. And so instead of someone saying, you know, Abraham was a person of faith, we should have said he was a person of fear, perhaps. He couldn't say no. So what he should have said to God instead was, I'm not going to do something that you've already told me is immoral, is wrong and hideous. And how can I hurt my own child? That's the only sensible thing for him to have done. Now, in terms of someone uh, doing what you asked, you know, how about uh, Abraham, when he was talking with God, when God said, you know, hey, I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and check things out. I hear things are bad um, and I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham begins negotiating with him. Right. I don't know if it was Abraham. <clears throat> it was one of those guys. Then so I'll, it, I'll defer pretty, to you. I'll defer to you as the let's expert. Say, go let's, ahead. Say, let's say it was Abraham. Um, so what happened was Abraham actually gets in God's face and challenges him. He says, wait a minute, you can't threaten to uh, kill all the people in Sodom and Gomorrah and then claim to be a righteous God. You can't do that. If you're a righteous God, then act like a righteous God. Now, he didn't say that quite that plainly. He said, far be it from the righteous God. So he said, no, you can't do that. He called him out on it. Now, let's go back to, if you don't mind, you said, you know, we're, we're taught that we must owe Obey God. Let's just do like a 30 second role play. Tell me that I should obey God. Oh, we're doing a role play. All right, here we go. Yeah. All right, here we go. You you be the spiritual authority telling me. Okay, I'm the spiritual authority, and I'm telling you what now? To obey God, that I must obey God. All right, here we go. Here we go. Hang tight. We'll be right back. You know, Aldo, I love when I find a good podcast. Do you now? I do. And the one that I'm enjoying right now is called The Fatherhood Project, hosted by you. I mean, you know, do tell. Well, The Fatherhood Project is full of funny and heartfelt stories told by men from different generations and backgrounds, telling their stories of what it's like to be a dad. The stories are interesting and very relatable. Can you please tell everyone where they can find it? You can find Aldo B. Martin Presents The Fatherhood Project on all major podcast platforms. Here we go. Do I need to alter my voice? Actually, hold up. Let me let no. me get into <laughs> let me get into character. Hold on. <clears throat> let okay. me clear my throat. Okay. Me 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 me. All right, here we go. Alan, you must obey God. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you almost had me there. That's the voice. <laughs> oh, that's good. Whoa, that's good. Okay, let me recollect myself. <laughs> let, let me get myself recomposed here. <laughs> All right, we starting over. Good. We starting no, over. No, no, that's no, that's fine. I'll respond to you. Why? Because God says so. Why must I do what God says to do? That's what the Bible says. So, why do I do what the Bible says? Because I'm doing what the Bible says. Well, that's a completely ridiculous statement. I have to do something because you're doing it. Come up with something better than that. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> okay. So what's going to happen to me if I don't obey God? Oh, you're going to get punished. Let's, let's, 
Ah, no, yeah. See, now let's let's re- let's read the fine print. See, now we're getting to the fine print, the switch and bait. Switch and bait. Yeah. How so? Oh, absolutely. Well, people are approached by, uh, hey, let me tell you the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Oh, it's good news. What do you mean, good news? Well, uh, the good news is that God made humanity, but then we rebelled against God. Uh, but God loves us so much that he gave his most precious thing, his only son, uh, to die for us so that God could forgive us. Isn't that incredible news? Isn't that good news? And someone says, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Tell me more about it. Then you keep going. If you get to the fine print, it's, well, God loves you and he will treat you well if you do exactly what he says, if you love him back. Oh, well, wait a minute. Well, you didn't tell me that. What what happens if I if I don't happen to agree with everything and it doesn't make sense or if I if I just feel like I'm just not able to? Oh, well, well then 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 you get sent to a torture chamber for an eternity without any chance of reprieve. That's what it boils down to. Indeed. Yeah. So why must I obey God? See, when you when you follow that conversation through, that's where it'll always end. Well, because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You know, it wasn't until I became a dad myself that I started to view the world in a different way. Right. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to do that. And and I'm certainly not the last. Right. I won't be the last. Right. Now, I have my kids and have two kids and i can't imagine me telling them hey um you got to do this or else you got to do this or else like what is what is the or else like if there is no or else then why would they do anything right why would they do anything that i asked them to do or tell them to do it's and, and i can't imagine myself kicking my kids out just because they didn't do something that i asked them to do does that make sense exactly it makes perfect sense. And so, yeah, so I have a very hard time um, balancing those thoughts, not balancing those thoughts, but justifying uh, the way I learned about God to the way I, I, I raised my kids. But that's that's a whole nother discussion for another time. Now, I want to I want to go back, though, to the beginning when you said that you've coached and conducted workshops with big corporations or large companies, rather. But nothing compares to helping those that have been traumatized in the name of God. Why, why is that? Why, why do you say something like that? Why, why is that so uh, fulfilling for you? I'm not sure how to answer that question other than to, to say that it is. Um, I love psychology, and I love theology. And I think that uh, when I work with people who have been uh, hurt, mistreated, abused, their lives have been um, held back, their happiness, and sometimes, you know, greatly impaired because of their religious experience, their spiritual experience, the church experience, the beliefs that they were taught. When I help people with that, then I'm blending psychology and theology together. So my two great loves in a way that empowers them in a way that they never could have imagined, gives them their life back. Gives them their life back. And yeah. what, what kind of results are you seeing with people? Like, what are, what are people telling you currently? Like, how is it, have you seen how it's helped people? Like, can you give us some examples? I mean, obviously without naming names, but have you, have you seen anything concrete that, that coaching people has really helped them through? Yeah. Well, in, in, in marriages, 
Okay, in high control churches, almost always, right? It's it's taught that the male is the spiritual leader, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, it's not that most of the members, you know, believe that wholeheartedly or they, you know, uh, practice it diligently, but it's it's a guilt thing, right? That the women live with all the time. What's wrong with me? You know, why am I not more, you know, <laughs> submissive? I hate that word. You know, um, you know, what, what am I just selfish? Am I just, you know, hard to get along with when all they're really doing is they're just fighting to have their own freaking life to make their own decisions for their life without feeling guilty. Personal agency, personal agency. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, Let's take an extreme case, you know, particularly back when I was in the ICC and, you know, I, I had the first, you know, uh, couple where the wife said, you know, I, I, I just hate it when my husband wants to have sex because I, I don't even want him to touch me. And I said, well, then tell him that. Tell him he can't touch you. Well, what do you mean? I can't do that. And, of course, you know, she told me what she had been taught in the Bible verses, right? Paul says, your body is not your own. You can't abstain from sex unless it's a mutual agreement, right? And that for spiritual purposes. And so when I would help someone to see, they don't need to fear God to begin with. That's that's the beginning place. You have nothing to fear from God. Your responsibility is to own your life, to be the ultimate authority in your life, because even God, from all sides of looking at it, gives people that. That's what people will generally call free will. You get to decide what you think about God or what you think about anything. And so once you give someone uh, that ability to have to access their own power, then it changes everything. They can mm-hmm. finally be honest with the people in their lives. No, I don't, I don't No, I don't want to you know, have sex with you. Well, no, we're not going to do that. No, I don't. I don't. I don't want to stay in this marriage. Will I go get help? Yes, uh, but I'm not going to stay in this marriage uh, if I don't want to stay in it. So that's one thing. Uh, when you when you have someone realize, gee, I don't have to go to church three or four times a week. I don't have to give ten percent of my income. That's a lot of money. No, I don't have to say no to this job because it's going to you know make me miss you know, half the Sundays of the year. I actually had a region leader and a elder in the church tell me that I'd missed too many Sundays. This was like after I had left, but was still attending occasionally. And, you know, he said, well, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. I said, you know, if I was a brain surgeon or a pilot, you wouldn't be saying such a ridiculous thing to me. And the region leader looked at me and he said, oh, yes, I absolutely would. And I looked at the elder and I said, are you are you really going to sit there and let him say such unbelievably atrocious, ridiculous things? Well, it's his region. I don't want to interfere with his leadership. So I said, we live we live in different universes. So when you give people the power to be able to say what you're saying uh, is absolutely ridiculous. And no, I don't have to follow that. And if you don't like that, if you don't agree with that and don't want me to be a part of my church, well, thank you for making it very clear, because why would I want to be a part of any of this? If you don't respect me, why would I want to be here? Can I go backwards a little bit? Sure. Can, can you talk to us about <clears throat> your process of, of of finally leaving the church? You were there for 13 years. So at what point, yeah. at what point did it become enough for you where you just said, 
all right, I've had enough. It, it's it's time to go. I think for me, and you know, everyone has uh, you know a different journey and a different process of waking up, and that's what I call it, waking up. Um, even though that I was at odds with much of what was taught and practiced, see, I wasn't personally um, experiencing any hardline uh, back then. You know, they would call it discipling. The first year I was there, special contribution came along. And uh, for for the first time in our life, we found out we we owed the IRS twenty five hundred dollars more than we had paid in. I went to the region leader and said, "Hey, that just happens to be the special contribution amount for us. Uh, we're not given the special contribution. I've got this tax bill and I'm paying it." And he said, "Well, um, you know, just set up payment plans with the IRS." I said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And make a long story short, he let it go. So I wasn't really on the the receiving end. Uh, for reasons for another story, of any real direct abuse. Maybe one thing is because I was pretty assertive. But I had been raised in the traditional Church of Christ, so all I knew was church, the church environment. I mean, the church was the most important thing. We went, you know, every time the church doors were open. I was on a Little League team, but when our team played on a Wednesday night, I couldn't go to ball game. I had to go to church. Oh, man. And on and on. That's all I knew. And so I was like 30 when I moved to Chicago with my wife and two young daughters and um, starting therapy practice was the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me question everything that I'd been taught. And I had to help these people. They were paying me money. If I didn't help them, I would be out of business. See, And so I had to figure out what is actually going to help these people. And so I started doing that. And although it got me into trouble and uh, caused problems for me, I loved, loved, loved what I was doing. And so I was thinking, okay, I'm helping people, you know, and, you know, we all rationalized to some extent. So I had to have been doing some rationalizations, right, to stay there so long. Yeah. And I had some good rationalizations and probably some not so good ones. But again, it was my own journey of waking up until I finally decided, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to formally say, consider me no longer a member. You know, you, you saying that is really interesting. Because you said you didn't really have some of the personal hardships that you've heard other people have, and but yet you recognize them. When I started doing therapy, yet you recognize them. You know, you see, I, I think that's just really key because hmm. you know, there's some people that have had, there's many people that have had a negative experience with this organization, and then there's many people that have not. And right. But but what seems to be lacking in some conversations I've witnessed or have had personally is those that have not had a a, a a negative response or experience sometimes don't really see what the other person is talking about. It's like you and they I don't. go to it's like you and I go to a concert, right? Right. You, you like music? Love music. So let's Love pick it. a con- let's pick a concert, man. Who 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 are we gonna go see? Who are we gonna go see? Oh my goodness! You're 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 the music uh, expert. Say say someone. Uh, let's let's go see Hall and Notes. Okay, Hall and Notes. Okay, <laughs> let's go see Hall and Notes. Boom! So me and Alan. Not familiar with their work, but go ahead. What? All right, man. See, that's why I asked <laughs> I you to give name. me one. But anyway, so let's I know, go. I know. So let's go see Hall and Notes, right? And and then as soon as we get there, you are the grand prize winner of this raffle that they're doing, where your ticket got upgraded. Okay. You got, you got to, you got to go to a new seat. I didn't. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I was like, yo, you know what, Alan, man, you go ahead and live your life, man. It's cool. I'll go sit over there. You go sit over there. We're good. So I go sit at the top, at the top. Yeah. Next to next to Jesus and God, right? I'm next to that. Okay. Right. Okay. And you get to go all the way to the front row. Right. Mm. You sit in the front yeah. row. Yeah. And and while I'm sitting where I'm at, everyone is drunk. Three fights broke out. My wallet got stolen. And they damn near stepped on my glasses. My glasses are now broke. <laughs> and then you, you are, <laughs> you're sitting in the front row and they're bringing your, the food to you. Freaking, freaking Daryl Hall asked you to come on stage to sing the last two songs with him. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone around right. you is polite. You're having the time of your life, right? Yeah. And then at, when the show is over, I meet you outside the venue and you're like, Aldo, this was amazing. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I had a terrible time. And you're like, well, not, not for me. Not, not from my perspective. Right. Right. Then, right. But, but then something happens where you go, you know what, man, I'm really sorry you had that experience. That's what I think the church experience is for some people. Yeah. No, that's a great, great analogy that helps people understand. But the, but the very fact that you're able to understand and you were doing some psychotherapy work that allowed you to see the perspective of other people, I think that's an amazing thing. I, I, re I really do. So I, I commend you for that. On behalf of the other fallaways, and I hope they let me speak for them in this regard, we thank you for seeing the perspective of the others. Now, I got one final question for you. What would you say to those that have just left the church and are in search of what to do next, right? I think there's this thing of people who leave the church and just don't know what to do next. Some people jump into another organization. Some people jump into, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. But what do you say to those that have just left and are looking for what's next? Yeah, that's, that is such a tough question and it's heartbreaking, right? Because there's no easy, simple answer to that. And it really is heartbreaking. Um, I would say to them to realize probably uh, unless their life is going really well, they're happy. <laughs> they're doing what they love to do. They're with people that they love. So unless that's their description. So anyone that's having some struggles, um, not sure what to do with their life, uh, still having some you know, guilt and shame and fear. Uh, not as successful as I'd like to be in the endeavors that are important to them. I'd like for them to consider that um, it's not their fault. They're doing absolutely the best they can because we, we always do. Everyone always does the best they can. That's a whole different story that opens up a different can of worms. But I would say for them to realize that they're dealing with a lot of things that at best didn't help them and likely on some level impaired them. And they're having to figure that out first, because until we can admit I'm hurting, there's no need to do anything to get better. We have to admit we have a problem before we even seek solutions to that problem. So be very gracious with ourselves. Don't criticize ourselves for anything don't look back and say, well, why did I do that? The question is because that's all I needed to do at the time or the answer to that is. So begin there and then find some level of help, some level of support. That's why the work that you're doing is so 
unbelievably important and significant, although, is because you have given people a place to come to hear some things that they wouldn't have heard uh, hardly anywhere else. I'm not saying that you and I are the only ones doing this, but proportionately so. You've given them a place to come and hear uh, things that they need to hear, to develop some understanding, some insights, to be heard, to be listened to, to be loved, to be validated, to be included, to be respected. And so find whatever places you can like that, including books, uh, podcasts, webinars. But if you can get one-on-one help because there's nothing as effective as that. And realize that if we're not doing better than what we want, it's because of one of three things. We, the real, we don't have some beliefs, beliefs that we need to have because we have to believe that we're capable and we're worthy. And we have to believe that we can achieve something or, or we, we won't start or we'll, we'll get discouraged and stopped. If we don't believe something's attainable, we're not, we're not idiots. We're not going to keep banging our head against the wall. So we have to have the right to believe. But then we have to have skills. We have to have mental, psychological skills. And then we have to have support. And that last one is almost always underrated. If someone's not doing better, it's because I, I can promise you they don't have some level of support that they need. Alan, where if somebody decides that they want to be coached by you or count or or receive counseling services with you, how can they find you? Related to everything that we're talking about first, I would encourage them to uh, to join my private Facebook group. And so now you're asking a technological novice kind of I would say the best way to even do that or to inquire anything about me is to send me an email. Uh, first of all, I'll go to my website, which is just my name, Alan Allard, A-L-A-N-A-L-L-A-R-D.com, which isn't designed for this uh, subject matter. It's more of a, a secular corporate uh, coaching site. But find my number, text me, say, hey, how can I get a, be a part of your Facebook group? Or find me on Facebook and then IM me, ask me how to. So I'd say start there, get, uh, get involved in my Facebook group. Otherwise, I have a book they can find on Amazon. I have an audio course that I sell on the website for $97. I will offer that to free to anyone uh, who wants it. They just need to get in touch with me, and I'll send them a coupon code. Man, that's cool. I, so any way that I can help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include all of that in the uh, all those links in the notes of this episode, and they can find you there. So, Alan, man, thank you so much for, for giving us some time on this Sunday, man. Uh, I greatly enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to the Reclamation Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard thus far. If you would like information on how to support this program, please check out the Support This Program link located in this episode's description. See you next time.